Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome back again to put it to the panel. Um, this is episode five, and this week we have very special guest Ed Sokolowski. Sorry if I pronounced <laughs> your name wrong. <laughs> uh, how's it going? Yeah, it's going great, man. How are you doing? Yeah, pretty good. Uh, if I blank out what's going on in the in the rest of the world, then uh, can't complain too much. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, just have to sort of, kind of switch off to it all. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean, man. Yeah. All right. So how have you been the last, you know, couple of, you know, couple of months through this situation? How's how's things been for yourself personally? Um, it's definitely changed the kind of work I'm doing a bit, but um to be honest, I've been really busy. And um I guess that's kind of encouraging, but um I don't know, there's like a few projects where I'd have a band in and those have all been kind of put on hold and I feel bad for the bands that I was kind of due to work with and that's all kind of put back almost indefinitely. So um, that part's been kind of a bit less cool because you can't really see how it's going to change too much. But um, there's been a lot more mixing work coming in and um, that's kind of kept me busy. So... It's cool that people are still you know, finding ways to create music and, you know, still kind of as keen as ever. Um, but I guess for some bands, it's a bit of a, a sudden change and you have to find ways of adapting to that. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't speak for, uh, you know, for any other bands, but I know certainly, uh, you know, for us, we're like we're trying to obviously be uh, as original with our content as we can be. Um but I'd be lying if I didn't say that we're really on edge about like we have studio dates booked in for uh, for August, yes. and you know with the way things are at the moment, it's very touch and go as to whether we're actually going to be able to do that. Um, and we've got you know everything very much ready to go, um, but it really depends on you know what the situation is and what we're allowed to do really. Yeah, but it's it's so hard to plan at the moment, and um, yeah. I have a few bands that are kind of on standby waiting to do things. And um, like, I mean, I don't think you've seen the studio, but Rob will know. Um, it's a pretty kind of basic setup here where um, everything's in one room. And, you know, I, I can't really have like a full band of people in. Um, and then, you know, using toilets and food and yeah. things like that, where you just have to consider how that's all going to work. And uh, I mean, I've sort of thought about it a bit and I think that we'll we'll be able to get things going again soon in some kind of way, but it's going to be different to what it was before. And um, I know it's hard to say when it'll be sort of back to normal on the, the recording side of it. But yeah. at the same time, I think like a lot of people have taken the initiative a bit and found ways to record themselves at home and to kind of collaborate online. Um, I've done some production like over FaceTime and streaming things through the internet in real time and all the technology is there really it's just like how yeah. quick people are to adopt it and find ways of, of making it work um but that's one thing that surprised me a bit that we haven't had to kind of wait for technology to come everything's been there waiting and kind of ready to go i think it's uh you know like you say really is a case of like people sort of having to now look at trying to do as much of it at home as they can, but then maybe getting the mixing and, the, you know, sending it off for the mixing and the mastering still, but they're kind of having to do the tracking, you know, at home if they've got the software or they've got any equipment to kind of 
do it. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, uh, the kind of barrier of entry now is so low that anyone can buy an interface for, what, 60, 70 quid online. And yeah. they're fine. They're, there's nothing wrong with them. It will do the job. And it will be better than maybe what people were using in studios like 20 years ago, um, or at least no worse. Um, and th there's great equipment, probably more great equipment at cheap prices than ever. So it really is accessible to anyone. Um, and at the same time, there's so many resources to learn where all you have to do is really go on YouTube and just read articles online and all the information is there. It's not hidden away. So it really just kind of levels the field in a lot of regards um, where if you want to do something, the only thing stopping is yourself. And uh, yeah. I think that's been the way for a while, but when the circumstances change a bit, it kind of forces you into to having to take it into your own hands. I guess there's been a lot of, you know, adaptation. Um, because this is such, you know, an unprecedented thing and it's n none of us have ever seen anything like it, it's, I think, you know, some bands, it's uh, it's totally caught off guard. Some were, were doing uh, a lot of the online content thing for a very long time. So this is just kind of like... Like I'm not going to say it's been easy for them, but they've already been in the habit of it, so they were best placed, you know, when this sort of thing went down. But then some very much, um, you know, and and I would say for us, really, like we absolutely loved playing shows live. Like that was, uh, you know, that that was our bread and butter. And um, to have that kind of pulled away from us, you know, have the rug kind of ripped out from beneath our feet, um, it did knock us for six. And you know, we are like we are sort of slowly kind of recovering from it, but it's, it has, it's definitely been a shock to the system. I think, yeah, as you say, Danny, I think it's been a shock to the system for everyone. Um, and it's, yeah. you know, it is, you know, like obviously many bands are in definitely different situations depending where they are, but you know, bands who, there's lots of bands that obviously definitely have plans. And um, I mean, even for us, I mean, like we had a gig the weekend before everything went into lockdown and I remember standing on stage and thinking that if coronavirus is going to become an epidemic, it's definitely in this room, you know, like, yeah. we were, you know, we were playing to, I don't know, a crowd of about 50 people. Was it Danny? Something like that. Yeah. In a tiny little pub. No, like two meters apart. Yeah. More think about like shoulder to shoulder, you know, and just thinking about, yeah, it's definitely is. If it's in this room, it's definitely in this room. And like, you know, some of us became sick afterwards and we thought we had it, but we didn't know. We were so early stages of the part. But I mean, like for yourself, Ed, I mean, it, I know about the studio and I know about where you are and been with the studio before. And I know that there's pretty much no room for social distancing where you are. It's like if I'm sitting on the sofa behind you, I'm probably about a meter away from you. Yeah, um, that's exactly. I mean, I, I've thought of having... Yeah, if we need to record drums, just one person at a time, both people wearing masks, doing half days. So there's sort of less need to use, um, you know, toilets or eating or anything like that. Um, but that, yeah, it kind of depends on the musicians being available for rather than doing, you know, an eight or 10 hour day. It means doing two, four hour days. And yeah, yeah they're going to be flexible enough to do that. Um, or not really. And there's a lot of things I have to consider like that where, you're like a singer can't wear a mask while they're uh, performing and then I have to make sure doors and microphones are desterilized um but sorry sterilized <laughs> but yeah there's obviously all sorts of things i've never really had to consider too much before that are like going to be very important if i'm going to be working with people in the same room
Um, and to be honest, like I'm totally like actually keen to do stuff remotely. And um, I, I did a song with, um, so weird how I got wrapped into it, but with Flair East, the charity single recently. And yeah. I did that with two other producers where we kind of came up with the structure of the song online, sent it to Flair, she recorded vocals in her house, sent it back to me, and then I mixed like that. And there's no reason why I can't do that with local bands either, where we FaceTime, they record, and I hear it directly as they're recording. I can give feedback in real time. Yeah. Kind of work for it together. And the only, the only real difference would be the technical side, which, you know, bands can buy equipment pretty cheap and record themselves. And there's, there's no real kind of, um, it's just a different way of working. It's not worse by any stretch. Um, and I think maybe on the more sort of local side, bands have been a little bit more kind of hesitant to, to go ahead with that. Um, but I think it's going to get way more common. And like, if it means yeah. I can work with more bands at the same time and book different sessions throughout the day and do it remotely at people's convenience, I think that's a good thing. Um, yeah. I think not everything needs to be done in person necessarily. No. I mean, I think, what do you think uh, in like in the case of the future of live music now? Because um, obviously everything is going to is going to change on a big scale, and you know people have been talking about how they're going to socially distance uh, music venues and you know have like different systems in place. And I can just see that being a massive headache for you know for everyone involved. Um, and obviously at the moment, uh, live streams on band pages are, are like a huge thing as well, uh, where you know bands do shows or activities and stuff like that do you think that the future is going to be a bit mixed or do you think it's going to be more commonplace to see a lot of online things and the occasional show or what would you what would um, your prediction be it's definitely not something i'm like too knowledgeable about but i mean i really miss gigs over the last few years i've really made an effort to go to a lot more a lot more shows and um it's kind of strange that you know, i'd probably go to sort of three or four a month but travel to london for it um, yeah, yeah. When it's been a few months of not going to any at all, then you really do kind of miss it. And to be honest, it's hard to imagine going back to it when you think how many people are packed into a room at a gig. And yeah, I just can't see that being the, the sort of case for a long know, time like, until there's a vaccine, really, because um, yeah, it's yeah. just been spread so quickly in those kind of situations. So um, I definitely have a lot of sympathy for uh, venues because. Yeah, they're not making any money at the moment. Bars aren't open. Um, they, they can't really do anything. Their hands are completely tied. And even with distancing, I don't think they can really make the numbers work to, to draw money in. So maybe it's going to be an online thing. But to be honest, I haven't really watched a lot of bands live streaming. Like, I get that for some people, if they really want to see a, you know, a show and it's been cancelled and then it's like the next best thing. Yeah. Um, and like it does feel a bit of a need, but then maybe at some point there's so much competition that you have to make it a kind of event or stand out in some way. And yeah, um, I mean it's, it's something for for bands to consider anyway. I think like about how how do you make yourselves stand out in front of all the other bands that are doing something similar? And you get to like that saturation point. I think when everybody is is trying to do the same thing, and then that's when you know that's when there's problems like initially um you know there was i guess like so few of them or at least not as many as there are now that when 
you know, when people went to watch them, there was there was quite a high turnout. Whereas now, it's kind of it's like people are being spread very thin because there's there's a lot of there's a lot of choices out there. Yeah, and I think the experience is very different to going to a show where if you go to it in person, it's a very personal experience that you only share with the people in that room. When it's yeah. online, it's available to everyone. It's pretty much going to be the same experience every time they do it. Um, yeah. You don't really have that connection where you're there and it's kind of your own like personal yeah. experience in a way. Um, so maybe long term, it's hard to see how that's going to keep keep evolving. Or maybe it'll be where they, they limit numbers of how many people can see it. So it feels a bit more personal. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know, like... I don't, I don't yeah. do gigs, and <laughs> it's not something I'm too clued up about. But I mean, hopefully, something maybe venues can can adapt and like offer to bands to uh, to stream shows because you still need somewhere good to do it and somewhere that looks the part and can accommodate people and equipment and cameras and everything yeah. like that. So yeah, um, maybe it's something we'll see kind of develop in advance um, over time. I totally agree, and uh, I mean, there's even you know, there's venues and stuff that I've been seeing online where they've been putting up you know a, a blueprint of their business you know of the, of the venue and then putting you know if we did social distancing this is what it would look like and it's just not feasible um there's even one venue which is close to you ed which is the mk11 kiln farm and they put up like how much if they were going to put on a gig somewhere like on well, one of their two stages like how much is it going to cost per ticket and it was just like insane it was like um if for the smaller stage it's going to be like 70 quid a ticket and that'll be for like a small time band and then 120 quid for the other stage per ticket yeah and that'll be for like a, a little bit of a bigger band and then they're like average customer needs to spend 220 quid and it's like it's obviously not feasible right now and i totally agree with i think it's going to be more when the vaccine comes around i think that's going to be you know the the real thing that kicks everything back into normal motion um yeah i liked something that danny mentioned a couple of weeks ago actually which was the idea of kind of like an online live tour in a way like um you would live stream like as a band or an artist to each individual's uh venues kind of like facebook page yeah and that's something that i thought was fairly interesting but I don't know. Do you think that's something that would work, Ed? Do you think that's something that is feasible? Or do you think it's like it just wouldn't work? I think it depends on so many things. <laughs> Maybe for some bands, it, it, it might offer something that their their audience is going to be interested in. But um, I don't know. Like I think people have to be creative with it and find ways of offering something that's that's different. Because again, if you have, say, just take London as an example, where it's a city with loads of venues. Um, yeah, the number of venues is going to kind of dictate how many shows are going to be on at any particular point. So, you know, there's only going to be so many opportunities to play on a Friday or Saturday night and there'll be bands booked for that. But then there's a kind of limit to how many people can be playing at once. As soon as it yeah. goes online, in theory, every single band could be playing on a Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. So you're yeah. fighting way more competition to, to get people there. Um, or to put it another way, if you're playing your local venue on a Friday night, you can kind of guarantee that a certain number of people are going to shop regardless, just because that's what they do at that point. As or soon as you go online, it's like a free-for-all between everyone. And um, it's a different way of doing it. But I don't know, I think it creates new opportunities. I don't think it has to be a, sort of seen as like something where everyone's a victim and loses out and there's no 
there's no kind of good that comes out of it um and kind of like i was saying with the recording side of it it kind of it forces your hand to adapt and to evolve um i think you know bands will have to look at it in a similar way where if they're dependent on making a, a good chunk of their money from doing shows and that's taken away then how are they going to exist as a band what are they going to offer to people what what are they going to provide how are they going to keep people engaged and um yeah, maybe if a band was so reliant on on doing shows, maybe now is an opportunity to think, you know, do we sort of merch or videos or um, kind of all the other aspects of being in a band that maybe took a back seat because you, you take the kind of easiest route when it's available. Um, and, you know, may, maybe it does create other opportunities that wouldn't have been there before, but, you know, kind of expose itself when uh, when the opportunity comes up. I think something else that I was just literally uh, sitting and thinking about is that if venues started to have uh, band showcases online, another potential problem with that, um, going back to what you said about competing with lots of other bands, is that literally any band could play that event and then you're not just competing with the local bands from that area, but suddenly, you know, nationwide, you've got competition on that scale, which makes it very difficult uh, you know, for an up-and-coming band who don't necessarily have any reputation or, or uh, much of a discography behind them to then try and, you know, get that out there. Yeah, that's it. It's, uh, it, it's something I sympathise quite a lot with because yeah. it, it's tough. And, uh, you know, if a band is trying to get their name out there and kind of playing to playing in front of people in kind of smaller venues is taken away, then where do you turn? How do you kind of elevate yourself up? And um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard to see much of a solution until you can start gigging again. And maybe one yeah. benefit is people are going to be so starved of going to shows that when it does open up, I think more people are going to be going and really keen to to kind of make the most of those experiences. And the atmosphere is going to be great when when the gigs are happening again. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I mean, we. I mean. Uh, we've you know we've spoken to Crawford Arms before and the uh, the Shed in Leicester, and you know it's all different opinions of how things are going to go. I mean, with you know with you in the studio, I mean you must have had you know some things planned. You know you said at the beginning you had some bands planned and some other projects planned. Do you think that you once you become available to kind of go a little bit back to normal, do you think you're going to see a big influx, or do you think it's just going to be? Let's just get what I did have planned first and then see what happens. Um, I'm sure there are people that are a bit unsure on whether they they can record at the moment and whether it's the right thing to do and whether it's safe and all that. So I'm sure there are people that probably kind of sat waiting to go and just kind of waiting for things to clear a bit before they, they book in. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, they're, they're, I've got projects in the pipeline that are on hold that as soon as... Yeah, as soon as the go ahead's there, then that'll just kind of go straight in. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know how. It's, it's, I think it depends on the band <laughs> and where they're at, and you know, <laughs> kind of what they're like. Uh, like for instance, most bands probably struggle to record drums themselves, so maybe they can record guitars and vocals at home, but they're still going to need somewhere to record drums. Yeah, um, so they might see that as a stumbling block, and maybe they'll want to kind of book somewhere they can do drums, do other bits at home, send it off to get mixed and mastered somewhere else, maybe. Um, 
I think it's just going to vary case by case depending on what the band can do, what experience they have, what their kind of goals of it are. Um, I mean, for me, it's it's like a real loss. Like, um, like don't get me wrong, I like creating you know content here and you know my own space and stuff like that. But it's really it's not ever going to be the same as it is when I'm in a room with the rest of the guys and we're all together, um, you know, creating something together or in the studio together. Like you can't beat that experience like you can try and sort of recreate it to you know to a sense but it's it's just not ever going to be the same like for me personally anyway yeah i think when i'm recording you probably can do it one-on-one and remotely but when a band's in a rehearsal room together and playing together discussing things i don't think you can really do that so easily like over facetime no Um, and that's really even when i'm working with bands the pre-production side is easily the most important part of that and that would be really hard to do kind of remotely because you need everyone's input at once you need to read the room and kind of quickly bounce between things so um there was one project that was a five song ep and we did all the pre-production drums were ready to go and then um all this happened has been put back and it's kind of lucky that we actually managed to get the pre-production done because now it's just a case of getting people's parts down. We know what they've got to play um, and what's required. And it's just literally a case of them coming in one at a time and doing it. And yes. that's definitely going to work. And there was another project where it's a similar kind of thing where we've done three songs of pre-production. I suggested we record drums for all three songs um, at the same point. So we got three songs of drums done and then just one song of guitars and vocals. So there's still two songs where the drums are done, but nothing else. And again, that'll be quite easy just to continue with um but then yeah there there is other projects where we were kind of preparing to start in pre-production and i mean i can imagine it's going to be a case of doing it online and um just making do with what we can and kind of doing the best of it and i don't know maybe something different but equally as good will come of it where people be in comfort at home and have have different things available to them and maybe not be so tired because I've come straight from work and had a full day and like, yeah, there's going to be, you know, pros and cons to the situation. Um, like for instance, one of the things that, you know, I would say is, is a potential downside is, um, at the moment when, you know, we're putting something together demo wise, uh, one of us will send it over into, you know, into our group chat after they've recorded it at home and then if the rest of us aren't happy with a section or something like that, or no, we need to change that. Well, if we'd have already been in the room together when we were creating it, then we could have saved the whole saving it, then bouncing it. And, you know, it just, it would have made the process a lot more kind of streamlined. Um, whereas now we're finding that I think, Rob, you would, I don't know if you'd agree, but I think that we're finding the process is taking longer to demo um than it did before because now we can't all be in a room to you know to listen to something and comment on it we have to wait and you know get feedback and then put new mixes in and then it's yeah it just it kind of drags it out quite a lot yeah something i definitely noticed when um before all this happened and if i was working with a band even if they had the means to do demos themselves quite often they'd like to come to me to do it just so there's less of the backwards and forwards and um if you're less experienced with the technical aspect then things do take longer and that's just the nature of it so it is quite a sort of convenience to have someone else handle that and you just focus on the creative kind of musical side of things yeah um, so it's somewhere where 
it's going to force bands to have to learn the technical aspects and how to make changes quickly and efficiently and um handle all that and yeah like it's just a change i think <laughs> that people have to get used to a little bit um, yeah i mean from my perspective um yeah you know, i've heard of other producers doing this as well where you can screen share plus stream the mix directly out of the software you're using so in theory you could have everyone kind of recording at the same point in each house and just yeah. kind of doing things like that but it does take a bit of technical kind of knowledge to get that working smoothly and you know whether or not most bands are gonna be able to get that stuff is yeah it's a bit of a tall order i think um but the technology's there and there isn't really anything stopping bands working like that if they wanted to yeah. um you know have a guitarist record at their house but have someone else operating um you know logical pro tools or whatever um and doing kind of technical things at the same time it's it's all possible yeah i mean we, we've been quite fortunate in that aspect because uh jez and mitchell are uh, you know when it comes to music tech they're they're quite skilled i absolutely have no you know no mixing or production knowledge whatsoever um i'm just songwriting social media i, I know my skills and you know and that's uh, that's what i stick to um and for me it's a learning curve you know so they'll talk about a lot of things that i don't necessarily understand but you know we put things into the into the group and then we kind of all can obviously offer feedback on them we've been quite lucky in that aspect but i know that you know that isn't necessarily going to be the case for for everybody yeah, yeah. So, i mean we even um you know just put it out there we recorded a as soon as we got back into lockdown we kind of you know as, as a band and as a group we you know kind of started putting things into place of what we're going to do in this time because we had built up quite a bit of momentum and then suddenly obviously uh everything comes crashing to a halt so we you know we've been trying to you know keep things active and trying to do new things and try not to do what everyone else is doing and i mean that's one of those things is we did a cover we did a cover of post malone sunflower and i mean with I mean, I think the only ones of us who have audio interfaces, I know, Danny, you have one. Um, yeah. And then Jez and Mitch have one. And I bought one at the, at the start of this. Um, but we have, we're lucky that we have um, Mitch, who is a, he's a, he's our drummer, but he's very talented. He knows how to play guitar, bass, drums, everything. And he pretty much like recorded the whole thing and then just said to me, can you do the vocals? And after I sent the vocals over to him, I think I did so many bloody takes of it, but it's because I'm just using the SM58. And, you know, it wasn't coming out as great. So it was basically like, go sit in a closet, do what the best I can sort of thing. Um, it just, the production side of it for him and then for us, because he wasn't glued up on it, he took, you know, he did take a long time to do it. So it's all just like baby steps sort of thing. But the way I've looked at this kind of, like lockdown for bands and for other people is that it's like a survive and thrive sort of thing yeah so, you know if you you either like you know you don't do anything you let your brand sort of sit there and not do anything for the whole time which is unhealthy for it and if you have a brand like that you want to keep it going so the best thing you do is what do you have to do to survive and what can you do so you edit your content you edit what you're going to do and you learn new skills so that when you come out of it, you're a better person and that you've got more knowledge to do. Yeah, absolutely. Like, 
it's easy and understandable to focus on the negatives but yeah you know, for musicians there's a lot of opportunity to spend more time at home to play your instruments to write more songs um to get better at all those things and um a lot of the musicians i've been speaking to are writing more than ever and they're probably really enjoying the fact that they don't have to go to the office um they've got more time they're probably not spending money on going out and can buy new guitars or amps or whatever you know whatever inspires them and kind of keeps that going and um like i'm kind of excited to to work with people that have been using this time creatively and to kind of come up with stuff that they wouldn't have had the opportunity to do and yeah. um, hopefully in the long term it does benefit them they become a better musician the, the songs reflect that and when they do start doing gigs again that they've got better material to, to show themselves off with um so like I, I really do hope that everyone I work with is is kind of working hard through this and focusing on things that they're able to do and using, you know, if uh, the chance to rehearse together and uh, to do gigs together is taken away and then to use that time still constructively and, you know, just keep improving. Um, yeah. I mean, because, you know, band practice um, more or less straight into the, you know, into the pandemic, that was out of the question um and you know the venue that we uh, that we used to go to to rehearse that was the situation for him um you know he's uh, he's he's really been struggling as a result of that because it's a multi-purpose venue and obviously a lot of uh, a lot of organizations in the in the local community use that building um and you know band practice that was out the window so for us we then had to think sort of go back to the drawing board and be like right well what we can what can we do on a tuesday now instead of band practice and so we started to then uh, and now we do like a, a weekly activity of of different sorts like we do quizzes we do online games um just stuff that kind of keeps you know keeps a bit of content going um and i guess for anyone who is like interested in in watching any of our stuff it's it's a bit of kind of light entertainment for them as well so and, and maybe makes them feel a bit like they know us more as people rather than just musicians yeah 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 I mean, I think through even through this time, I mean, ever since I've got this audio interface, I mean, I totally get you with, with you know, being creative and just doing as much as you can, because um, I've learned more about music production recording on by myself than I have there more than ever. You know, I've been put into a situation where I'm on furlough now, like for, you know, maybe a, a couple of months. And I mean, you know me, Ed, you, you've known me through Young and Restless and stuff. And you know that I play guitar. Well, pretty much like up until maybe two weeks ago, I hadn't played guitar like properly for about a year. All right. Um, you know, I do vocals in a few too many. And it was nice and refreshing to pick that back up and learn some new things. Um, is there anything that, you know, you're doing differently in this time? Is there anything that you are pick, picked up or anything like that? um so much to be honest but i think it's always in my nature to be trying to learn something and get better at something even if i'm really busy there's always something in the back of my mind that i want to get better at and i think even just in the most general sense the the kind of moment we're at in history is like it's never happened before where every piece of information is available to everyone at any point like all you have to do is pull your phone out your pocket search any topic you want and you can just keep learning indefinitely the information's there it's just up to you to like act on it and do something with it and 
kind of finding like a good teacher is actually the hardest part of it and something you have to be a little bit cautious with on youtube because it's so unfiltered and you can easily pick up bad habits and learn kind of the wrong things uh, potentially but all the information's there and if you want to yeah i've been playing more guitar than i have done for ages and um I'm loving having the opportunity to do that where there's amazing teachers on YouTube. You don't have to pay anything or Fender Play are offering that three month, um, you know, for free where there's just yeah. like amazing tutors and you can fill in so many gaps in your playing or learn new songs or whatever it is that you want to advance at. Um, it's there. All you have to do is kind of, uh, go, uh, to, you know, go for it. And um, yeah, I've been playing a lot more guitar than I was before um i mean not something i'm particularly proud of but i spent so much money on ebay uh, the last few weeks um just kind of improving the studio and um, yeah if i'm not going out and kind of spending money on holidays or going to gigs or um whatever it is um yeah i'm just investing in, in my studio and my work and um you know i've bought way too many amps recently so that's kind of put on a bit of a journey of finding which combinations of cabs that I like with it, which valves I like in it. Uh, I've been experimenting with different speaker types, just all kinds of stuff where I I'm trying to, I guess, partly get ready for when people are coming in again and partly just to become better at what I do. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I'm sure, Rob, you'll you sort of appreciate that when you start learning about recording, it's, there's no end to what you can learn. And exactly. There's the whole kind of musical side of it as well, which learning theory, I think, is just so important for everyone to do. If you're a musician and or anything to do with music, um, it's you can get by without it, but it's going to slow you down and people are going to learn a lot faster than you if you don't have it. And um, it's something that I kind of wish I would have. I mean, I think everyone probably does that you wish when you're 10 or 12 or whenever you started learning an instrument that you were taught that from the beginning and for most people they don't they just kind of pick a guitar up learn a few songs and kind of wing their way through and that's great but if you want to get better then theory is such like a, a big thing that you can kind of advance with and a lot of the time when i'm looking at lessons is going over stuff that maybe i should have known before or spent more time before and i looked past because at that point i wasn't interested and now there's all this time to go over it and just fill in all those gaps and um I don't know, it's, it kind of, when you, when you go over those things, it feels like a new instrument again and you feel inspired because there's all these things that you couldn't do before that, that you now can. And um, yeah, yeah. I, I'm loving playing guitar more than ever. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Perfect stuff. Okay. So, I mean, I'm seeing the amps and stuff back there, actually. It seems like you are quite stacked up at the moment. Is there... <laughs> anyone you're particularly proud of at the moment they're like fucking hell I'm, I'm so happy i got that um they all have their own their own chance i guess i mean uh one of the amps i've had for it for years i think it's just always been my favorite amp which is an old uh 1977 marshall uh jmp and that still just like does something that no other amp does and i love all the amps i've got and they're like amazing kind of classic amps but that one is just always always kind of sticks out in the best way um but another dream amp for me was um a mess boogie dual rectifier and Ooh. with a lot of these amps they kind of they've made tweaks over the years and slight refinements and i wouldn't say they're necessarily worse but there's always like a classic kind of version of it that people 
just believe is the best version. And with the dual rectifier, there's like the uh, revision F and revision G, and they're the kind of yeah, just the ones that everyone everyone wants. Yeah. And um, I actually was buying a um a mess boogie cabinet because their cabs are incredible as well like easy the best ones out there and was buying that and the guy i was buying it from when we'd all kind of agreed it, he said oh you don't actually fancy buying amp as well do you and sent me a photo and i recognized in the photo it was one of the old two channel uh rev g's um to manage to kind of agree a price that we we're both happy with on that and it was one of those days where you don't expect to be buying anything that day and then all of a sudden you're buying a dream amp and cab and uh that was quite exciting and that, that sounds incredible like exactly what you'd want from the amp um, yeah but i'd say yeah definitely things have got pretty out of hand on that so i bought a second mess boogie cabinet um something i didn't realize for a long time is the the speakers inside it are such a big part obviously and the year they're made and can vary the sound so much um there's just sort of different tolerances that like the speakers obviously made out of paper cones and the consistency of the wood is going to vary just depending on what how the trees are grown that particular year so even just year to year they'll build exactly the same way but they'll just vary in sound um, as well yeah. as other construction differences that can can alter it um so i've got one mess boogie cab from 99 and one from 2002 and they sound so different when everything else is the same same dimensions um same model of speaker but just completely but different. The different yeah um, um what's your opinion on on kemper amps because our our, our bassist luke a little while ago where uh, he uh, he was very lucky to uh, get his hands on one of them and um yeah we're, we're needless to say me and jez were both extremely jealous um <laughs> I've yeah heard I, that... I use one as well and i love it it's definitely one of my favorite pieces of equipment and um, yeah it's one of those ones where i have friends that i really trust on yeah, you know, just not following kind of fads with new technology. And for a while they were saying, oh, I've got to try it. It really is that good. And like, I, I love digital stuff. I love plugins. I use loads of them. I rely on them all the time. And for a long time, I was just of the view that, you know, I, I like plugin amps, but they're not the same as the real thing. And when I got the Kemper, it was like, I can't tell the difference here. Um, but to be honest, it's since I bought the Kempo is when I've started buying more amps again. And it's, it's actually got me more into enjoying kind of amps and cabs and different combinations. And as much as I love the Kemper, to get the most out of it, you have to use it with your own amps and make the profiles yourself. And yeah. it works great using it you know, remotely and at home and kind of quietly and downloading third party things. But it never quite matches up the same if it's not made by you with your guitar for your kind of needs and to be honest with all the kind of stuff i've been um going in just really nerdy with there's so many weird interactions that happen between the guitar pedals and the amp and the cab the way they interact let alone the microphone the positions of all that there's just so much to to take in that a camper just kind of takes a snapshot of it and yeah. it's amazing taking a snapshot but if it's someone else's you don't get that that kind of connection between you and what you're going for there's always going to be a limit to how close it is to what what you actually want so yeah. i use the camper loads i rely on it absolutely tons but i still you know if a band's coming in i'll make tones for them with equipment that they have with i have or combine and we'll come up with something unique and yeah even that process is way more inspiring to me it's way more 
kind of fulfilling when you're making a song and you know that you're the only person with that particular sound and that sound is the perfect one for that song you're not trying to kind of adjust something that someone else has made that you don't know what they were going for and then trying to fit it yeah. to your, your kind of need so yeah it is an incredible piece of technology but i still don't see it as something that yeah, it's done the opposite of making me sell all my amps and cabs and microphones and stuff. It's it's actually made yeah, me quite more and more interest because yeah, yeah, it just opens up a lot more kind of possibilities with different sounds. And I love the convenience of it. I love that you don't have to have uh, an amp that the valves might sound different the next day, or you don't want to be in a room with a hundred watt amp blasting for eight hours. Like yeah. after an hour or two, everyone's going to be knackered and going to be useless, yeah. and it's, it's no use to anyone. So it's amazing for convenience and you know i, I do genuinely believe it, it can sound as good as the mic signal um sometimes it struggles but often it ends up sounding better anyway so it's, I it's think a great tool um a lot of people kind of fall into the you know the trap of wanting to take a specific tone like a lot of people immediately will be like okay well i want tom delong's uh, tom delong's Enema of the state tone or like Mike Dunn's bass tone. And then, you know, they kind of go down that route. Whereas I, I have to agree with you. I think creating something that is your tone is, it, you know, is, is much more beneficial and, and effective in the long run. Absolutely. I mean, I've, I've been down that, that sort of path before. And, you know, when I was younger and listened to Killswitch all the time, and I, I wanted my guitar to sound like Killswitch. And, I didn't deliberately buy the same gear as them. It just sort of happened that I had the same amp. I could get hold of a cab yeah. that was the same. I had the Maxon tube screamer and stuff. And then I'd record. I still couldn't get it like the same. And I'd be scratching my head like, what am I doing wrong here? And it kind of forced me to actually work on my technique as a guitarist. And it's, uh, it's such a cliche thing to say, but believe me, it is the most true thing that it is all in, in the playing and on, on that side of it. The amp and cab and microphone is so far behind the kind of level of importance and how you sound um yeah. even besides that everyone's song is different you might be in a different key you've got a different singer the parts are different when they were coming up with those tones they weren't trying to copy someone else they were just going for what works for that particular moment so sure. it's really just not a healthy kind of way to think of trying to copy someone else's thing and yeah. i think everyone learns that the hard way at some point that you just realize you're never going to achieve it it's, it's even if you do it's not going to work and it's not going to sound good um yeah and it's quite a healthy thing to learn at some point to be honest like if you if you go through that then you realize that it's up to you to sound good it's up to how you play your instrument and make that sound exciting don't rely on the equipment to to do it because if you buy me Jimi hendrix's marshall stack and uh strat and all his pedals and stuff i'm still i'm never gonna sound like him and it's not even gonna sound close it's gonna sound laughably bad because i and can't play and no one can yeah, but you want to have your own, you know, unique individuality. And, and like that's especially like speaking, you know, as as somebody in a band, I can't speak for, you know, for every every band member. But certainly for me, I've, I've gone down the, you know, the route of making that mistake. Like with our debut album, um, after it came out, a, a lot of the reviews were sort of around the uh, the fact that like, oh, this is, you know, sounds a bit like it could be a UK Blink-182. And at the time, Obviously, that's a huge, that's a massive compliment. Like, don't get me wrong. But now it's kind of like, I like the fact that when I listen to, you know, our new stuff and our new demos, I don't think of like another band. I, I, I think of like our tone and, you know, and, and our kind of brand, if you like. And I think that is something that early on that a lot of people, um, 
because you know we grow up watching those kind of bands and you you know you do watch them on stage and you watch them in the studio and you think oh god i wish that was me but to maybe even to a you know to an unhealthy point that then you sort of try and adopt a lot of what they do um and i think it's it's a lot more beneficial to you know to work on finding your own kind of sound and direction and and looking back now you know if i could talk to my younger self i'd be like look stop trying to focus so much on trying to achieve that tone and find your tone absolutely i think the the thing that anyone connects to with music is when their kind of true personality comes through where you, you can listen to the music and picture the whole band and all their different I mean, Rob will know that I'm, I'm the biggest Beatles nerd ever. And, oh, hell um, yeah, you are. <laughs> they're like four distinct personalities that everyone can kind of picture in their head and they kind of, they have their own perception of what that person's like. It almost feels like you know them. And you can listen to their songs and you can kind of think, oh, that's such a Lennon song, that's such a McCartney song, that's such a Harrison song. Um, or like Ringo's drumming. You, you can kind of picture his personality and the way he plays the instrument. And for me, that's like the highest point to reach as a musician. When you can play something and that character just comes out of it. Yeah, the sound of it, the way it's played, the style of the parts, the yeah. kind of songwriting it is. And it can go for anyone, especially the big bands, because there's a reason why they've got that big, because people can connect with it in that way. And it could be, I don't know, Kurt Cobain or Dimebag Dare or whoever. They just, their personality comes out and everything they do is that person. They're not trying to be someone else or trying to copy someone else. They I mean, just kind of make their own thing and it crosses over into the way they are in real life. It's it's just like an extension of of their own personality and that should be the case with not just tones or kind of um riffs or anything like that just you know in, in the most kind of creative sense that the existence of the band should offer something that is a reflection of the people in it and the experiences they've had and yeah the the, the songs should be very honest to to them not this is me yeah. trying to do a play two song because who who would want to listen to that over listen to Blink-182? It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't exactly. offer anything new. Totally. Um, I mean, like, uh, I think when, I think, obviously, I think that people, you know, when they're, when they're making a new sound or whatever, they, you know, obviously be, your, like, it sounds cliche of like, like, be yourself. And it's obviously, it's very true. Be yourself and do what you like and do what uh, makes you happy and come up with something that's brand new or, you know, because people aren't going to, go to a you know for example to a rock show and see the same band play the same cover of you know the pretender by foo fighters you know like i think when you're younger if you're say a younger musician say if you're um just starting to pick up guitar and stuff like that getting involved with bands and pretending to be someone i think that's absolutely fine i think at that stage absolutely fine because you're learning how to be a musician but obviously when you get further down the line and you think i'm actually gonna start taking this seriously then you do have to be a little bit different and and i wouldn't say quirkier but you need to have something to you and something that is definitely you as you say with like the beatles you need like definitely with ringo uh, when i hear uh, you know ringo start playing or something or i hear um you know definitely something like yellow submarine and i hear his voice you know um it's definitely you know it's them um and i totally agree with that i'm trying to think where i was going with this but like definitely I feel like when you're younger, try be like, don't worry about not being yourself. Just try find yourself as a musician. Yeah. Um, I would say, I mean, everyone's motivations for being in a band are going to be different. And some people don't want to be, they don't want to do it for a living. They're just happy to kind of meet up with their mates, play a few songs together. Yeah. And that's fine for them. And sometimes 
like I'll meet with bands and talk about working together and our ambitions don't match and we'll just kind of agree that like it's not worth pursuing any further because um you know for better or worse I'm very serious about what I do and I can't really compromise on things it it doesn't make sense for me to kind of hold back if we can go as far as we can with it and it's the same for a lot of people in bands like not every band wants to fully go for it and commit themselves it might not be a dream job for them and even big bands you get people that it's not what they want to do and they kind of leave and do something else so it is totally up to the band and like what their ambition is and what their kind of goal is with it but for the ones that do want to make it their job then it's about treating it like a job and taking it yeah as seriously as you would with anyone who's paying you money and you know if you want people to to throw money at you essentially then you have to give them a good reason to want to do it and yeah maybe being in a cover band might to a certain point there is going to be a limit because you know that the actual band is gonna be able to charge you know it depends what band it is obviously the same as Foo Fighters they could charge what 90 quid a ticket for a big O2 gig or whatever Whereas a cover band is going to be lucky to get six or seven quid at a local venue with far fewer people. And yeah, if your ambition is to be in a Foo Fighters band, and you know that's going to be about as far as you can go with it. Maybe you'll get to go abroad and do the odd show and that might be a, a fun experience, but there is going to be a ceiling to it. And, um, you know, for other people, if their job is to be, a, or their ambition is to be a songwriter or to be in a band that's touring the world, then you really have just got to treat it like that's the most important thing and you do everything you can to make to make that the goal yeah um, yeah so it is it's so dependent on what what people want to get out of it and totally. um i mean again i think now is a good opportunity for bands to really think about like where they're headed with it how do they make this happen rather than maybe they're in a routine before of just having a gig every friday and saturday night and that's just the kind of norm and they know that they can show up, they're going to sell this much merch, they can have this many people show up uh, to the venue, and it's kind of like a steady place to be, but at the same time, it might be the thing that's holding them back, because they don't look how to go beyond that, and when that's taken away, then it's an opportunity to think, oh, maybe we need to think about these songs, or maybe we think about how we're going to record it next time, or maybe we're going to think about our comeback show, and how it's going to stand out from every other band's comeback show. So there's all these yeah. chances of, like, how how you can progress out of this and um like maybe it's not such a bad thing for a lot of people to to think about these things maybe that, that hasn't been the opportunity to think about it before just because you, you you kind of deal with it as it comes and um i mean i i do genuinely hope that like it's a i don't want to say positive thing because you can't say when over forty thousand people have died that there's any positives but no um you also don't want to kind of hold back or go into a sort of downward spiral of things getting worse. You, you want to hope that when when things do pick up again, that it's better than it's ever been, that people are more kind of invigorated and keen to do just great music and kind of put great shows on. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of, maybe I'm, I'm a bit too optimistic about it, but I'm kind of excited for, for what's going to come out of it. I think people are going to have, even like you look at the social things that are going on at the moment and, that's just got to be such like fuel to write music about. And you look at all other kind of troubled times in the past and it, whether it's wars or, um, yeah, kind of racial issues that's inspired some of the best music ever. And 
sometimes it does take bad things to really stir up art and make amazing art and i don't know you never want bad things to happen to anyone but sometimes it can be the thing that that really creates a kind of creativity then at least you know that's 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 kind of a little something i suppose it's like we um you know before all of this went down uh like i say we were ready at that point um in fact i think maybe even the week of it all going down we were supposed to be going to the studio rob correct me if i'm wrong um that's correct i mean um uh we did i did definitely want to go with you this time ed um with a few too many um i told these guys we've got to go with ed we've got to go with ed he's fucking brilliant um but these guys are from you know cambridge and uh i'm the only one that's like you know in your area Sure, yeah, so yeah. it just became it just became you know a hassle in the end but like obviously we got to the situation where um pretty much like the week of like the first like i think it was like that we got put into lockdown on a thursday and the yep. following monday was when we were, we were supposed to go to the studio yeah. <laughs> and so yeah that completely went out the window for us which was you know majorly gutting but on the, you know on the creative side of it um, we felt at that point we were ready to go in, but we have since, uh, you know, since all of this has gone down, we have written some new stuff. So that is something that wouldn't have happened um, if we'd have if we'd have gone in then. So I suppose we can sort of take that away from it. And I'm sure there's going to be many other bands, you know, in the in the same position as that as well. Yeah, I'm sure the songs that bands would have wanted to do a few months ago, they'd probably look at now and think, actually, I'm glad we didn't record them because I've written these new ones that reflect yeah. what i want to do so much better and uh yeah like i don't I mean I, I really do genuinely miss working with local bands because a lot of the projects i've been doing have been more on the kind of bigger budget side of things where they can't really afford to stop and they have the means to keep going a lot easier than the than most local bands do so uh that's been great to work on but i do miss just being in the room with bands and kind of helping them develop their songs and it's like another part of the job that um, maybe like my hourly rate is significantly worse doing, but it's still a kind of satisfying part of my job that I haven't been able to do for a while. Um, yeah. I really am like looking forward to doing that. Um, you know, taking any kind of financial aspects out of it, just offering that, that kind of service to bands. Um, yeah. Something I'm looking forward to getting back again. Great. All right. Well, um, Something that I did actually think of that I would like to pop, like pass you through to you actually is that obviously I think there's a lot of people who get very creative in this time, getting you know ready to kind of take the world on as soon as you know they come out of lockdown. And I think we're going to see a lot of like part of what I've been thinking about. I'm not sure if you've been thinking about it as well, Danny. Is that um, I think we're going to see an influx of new bands come out of this, like you know new. I mean- new groups new bands new artists come out of this who have learned on you know from taking time away or um have developed something that they think i need to start something new or i want to do something new um on a recording perspective ed what do you think what would you suggest to new bands because i mean for example i'm gonna i always go back to kind of using myself an example um young and restless we hadn't really gone into a studio before and we hadn't for like years like I think it was three years in and then we were in a battle of the bands and then I think that's when we met you. Um, and, 
you know, you said we should, you know, maybe record something sometime. Um, we were supposed to do a tour. The tour got cancelled. We had the week off. We came to you very last minute and you said, yeah, let's make an EP. And I guess the way we did it was very messy. Like we came up with a great EP and you did an absolutely brilliant job of it. But what do you suggest to bands just coming, like when we come out of this lockdown, what do you suggest for them to be doing in terms of recording or what do you think, what what advice can you give in that situation? I think always, always the most important thing is to write great songs. Um, the other stuff does matter a lot, but it takes care of itself so much if the song's great. If the song's good, then people are going to care. If if you focus too much on the technical stuff without the song being ready, it really doesn't matter how well recorded it is because no one is going to connect with it. And it's all kind of pointless in the end. And the thing it's taken me like years to really appreciate is, um, you know, getting great guitar tones or drum sounds or really good mixes. It's so easy to focus on the technical side of it and just miss the emotional part, which is the real reason anyone likes music in the first place, um, because you get enjoyment out of it. And you can get so bogged down in all the technical aspects of it that you look past, like, is this song even ready to record yet? Is this song as good as it could be? Like, does this song even move me or is it just like, is it flat? Is, is yeah. there something wrong with it that could be addressed? And I think if someone is creating music, rather than just diving in and recording it straight away, um, just to be honest, like, is this the best I can do? Is this the best reflection of what I am as a musician? How can I make this better? Just to be your own biggest critic. And, um, you know, you know when the song is having a positive impact on people, when people care and react to what you're doing um, yeah. it's very easy for people to pat themselves on the back and turn a blind eye to to what they're creating and for some people that's fine as well like everyone's got to start somewhere and i don't know <laughs> musicians like speaking my own person we're all kind of um we all want that that validation from someone saying oh you're amazing i love how did you come up with that you're such an incredible guitarist or songwriter or his lyrics are incredible or you're such a good singer we want that validation from people so we're very like we're very quick to listen to people tell us how good we are but it's harder to be hard on yourself and to get better you've really got to like be honest and think how, how do i get better what i'm doing how do i make this song better than the last one how do i how, how do i keep improving and um you know as much as i think it's good to focus a bit on the technical stuff there should be so far behind um for someone who's creating music in their heads and um yeah you look at uh billy eilish who absolutely killed her the last grammys and that was done in a bedroom with her brother and yeah i know it's easy to say oh you know he's a producer already and they know what they're doing and their family kind of made it easy and stuff but they've done it with equipment that is available to everyone and um sure some of the contacts they've helped but the fact is they've done it and everyone who's moaning about it hasn't done it and yeah you know yeah, I just think that the, it's such an exciting time to be creating stuff that um, you've got to stand out from the, from everyone else. Everyone has the same things available to them that you do, and um, yeah, I just think the best the best piece of advice is to to work at being the best you can be and to to get great songs. And I think it's so helpful to have equipment that you can record yourself on, and it doesn't need to be amazing, and you don't need to be the fastest at Pro Tools necessarily, or have the best microphone in the world or the best sounding room or all the best equipment. Like none of that really matters until, 
until it gets to the point that it's holding you back. But until the song is great, it's not it's not going to hold you back. And even then, you'd be amazed at what the, the sort of quality of some big recordings where they're not using particularly expensive equipment or things that are not available to everyone else. And that wasn't the case even 15 years ago or 20 years ago, where you did have to go to a big studio and use, you know, skilled engineers and things that wouldn't have been available to everyone. Like that's that's not the world we're in now. And uh I think that's a great thing if you make the most of that. Um and I think maybe the difficulty is how do you stand out in front of so many mm. people because everyone can buy a microphone and interface, record songs at home, put it online, put it on YouTube, share it on social media and you know, was it eighty thousand songs? Probably more get uploaded to Spotify every single day. Yeah. So how do you make your one stand out above those other ones? Um, and I think that's that's the hard thing, and that's the thing to focus on. Um, yeah, I, I'd love to say buy this piece of equipment and buy that piece of equipment. And that's that's what you do. But I think the reality is like great good songs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The way it always has been. And if you make great songs, people will want to be a part of it. People want to attach to it. And yeah. I think the rest kind of I don't want to say takes care of itself because it does there's still so much other work that has to go into it but um that's always gonna be the first thing and that's always the first thing I focus on and I think bands work we all agree that the most fun part of the recording is pre-production because that's where the song comes alive and that's where you yeah. go from a, a song that you think you're happy with to a song that's like becomes its own kind of living thing um, yeah I and for me, that's, that's the most satisfying part of it. Um, that's when all the creative kind of unexpected things happen. And the rest is almost, you know what you're, you're kind of aiming for and you just do it. And it just kind of happens pretty easily from then onwards. But um, I think when the song's there and got a direction and a kind of purpose for being there, the, you, you have a path to follow at that point. It's, it's kind I of think more straightforward. The first draft is very rarely the, you know, the final draft, like, uh, you know, you, using our own experience again. Um, when Mitch brought Hayes to the table, it was already a, a fantastic song. Um, but then, you know, we, we like, changed different elements, added different things in. And, you know, and it's still like to this day, it looks different to uh, how it did like straight off of the bat. Um, because obviously everybody sort of brings their own kind of unique elements into it. And I think it's very rare. I mean, obviously you do have those like one-off miraculous occasions where, you know, you create something and the first draft is like, yep, there's nothing I'm going to change about that. It's absolutely fine. But I think that's probably more <laughs> rare. Um, and it, and it's more likely that you're going to end up going redrafting things, listening to things a few days later, being like, oh, I, hate, I actually hate that. I don't know why I like <laughs> so yeah. yeah i think that's such a healthy attitude to have and um i mean it does happen where sometimes the demo version is unbeatable and that is the right one and you try other ones but then you just hold your hands up and say no it was right the first time and that was it but conversely if you record something and the first idea you have of it is the one you live with forever then it misses such a massive opportunity to see what could have been with it and yeah. i think that's probably one of the biggest mistakes i see with bands is that they don't they don't explore the potential of a song. They they write it and that's it forever. They've kind of missed this opportunity to to see what it could have been. And yeah. it's something that doesn't really get explained to bands. I, I totally understand and kind of like sympathize how that happens. And I, 
it's something I, I would have made that same mistake before when a band books in and you dive in on the first day and you're recording drums and I, haven't, I don't even know what the song is yet. So how do I know if it's the right drum sound or if the parts are right or they're fighting each other or anything like that uh, without actually hearing the song first and making those decisions on is this song as good as it could be? Are the parts right? Uh, does this yeah. song kind of connect in the way it's supposed to in what it initially was setting out to do? Um, so yeah, I think it's so handy to have equipment to record with so you can hear your ideas back and i totally reckon like especially now i think it's lunacy if a band doesn't have the ability to do that because i have bands that record ideas on an iphone and it yeah. sounds it sounds like surprisingly possible it's it's totally possible to do that there, there's nothing wrong with that and you can make good ideas and those limitations can actually make you be more creative um so i, I think every single band should have some kind of means of recording demos where they can hear a song back be critical and think, oh, maybe I should try a different drum beat on that first verse, or maybe this should cut out there, or maybe that melody could be a bit better here, or maybe I get bored by the middle eight and this should be different. There's all these kind of things that unless you record a rough version of it, you're not going to really have a good idea of, of whether that works. No. And um, I, I think that's just something that should be in every band's kind of skill set to, to be able to do. And it could just be one microphone in the practice room. Um, sure. To hear a demo, just so you hear it back. Or it could be you go to the bassist's house and they can do a bit in GarageBand or Logic or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think that's, that's how you know when the song is good and ready to be recorded. Yeah. And yeah. even, again, not to, not to kind of advertise myself, but that's what I see my job as. If someone's called themselves a producer, it's to, to take responsibility of the product. It's not just yeah. to engineer and kind of mic things up and leave it to the band to know what to do. And sometimes that is the right thing to do, just to not get in the way of it. But sometimes a band does need to be guided through it and to, to be told, like, no, this, this should change. Or let's try something here, see if it's better. And yeah. sometimes that will come up when I'm working with a band and they'll say, no, we like it the way it was. It just kind of needs to be like that. And that's fine. But at least you have the discussion and you kind of explore the possibility of that. And without those thoughts coming in your head, if you if you never think or have those kind of uh, suggestions put to you, then you're you're never going to hit the potential because uh, you're you're kind of holding yourself back. Yeah, and, uh, and I, yeah, you have to be very receptive and open to that feedback as well. Like very, you know, as musicians, I think a lot of the time we feel our songs are almost like our baby, and you know, it, you can get quite protective over your baby, like when you put it out into the world you uh you know you can be quite protective over the uh the structure and things like that and i think it's very important to, you've got to be extremely open-minded but when you bring something to the table and you know you bring it to the floor essentially then it's open to interpretation from everyone you've brought it to and then you have to be receptive to the comments that come back because they're not necessarily going to be every part of it was amazing that's fantastic in fact that's that's quite rare so uh <laughs> open to that kind of two-way communication. But I think anyone who is a musician, I think it's, it's part of being a musician that you have to be open-minded and you have to have thick skin. Yeah. And if you don't have those kind of um, like character traits in you, then you're really going to struggle as a musician because not everyone is going to love every single thing that you do. And to get no. better, you, really, you have to be your own hardest critic because if you don't like it, then why would anyone else care? Um, yep. And likewise, like if I listen to work that I did five years ago 
I'd be cringing so hard now. And I think if I listen to it now and thought it was as good as what I thought then, then it means I haven't improved. And it'd be the same with songs. I hope that anyone writes until you get to a very kind of accomplished level where you know that something you wrote 10 years ago was absolutely great and you wouldn't touch it. I think most of us can accept we're not Paul McCartney and we're not going to be at that point. Um, yeah. So I think it's, it's quite a healthy thing to, to be your own hardest critic because if you're not, eventually someone is going to come up to you and really put you in your place and you've yeah. you kind of got to be ready for it. Um, I mean, I, I'm so, I've probably been doing this long enough that I know I'm not too protective over the work I do and sometimes I might, I might produce something, I might mix something, I send it to the, the artist or client or whatever, and they'll say, no, nah, it's not right. And I don't take it personally. You just have to kind of accept that you, you missed the mark on it and something's not right. And you kind of work out what it is and then you find it. And quite often it's, it's not as big a thing as you feel like it is when you get defensive and kind of, I can't believe they don't like it. Like when you kind of calm down a bit and you think, oh, maybe, maybe they're actually, they're right and I missed something. And you have to kind of hold your hands up and admit that you're not always going to get everything perfect. And the only way to yeah. get better is to kind of accept people's feedback and take it on board. And sometimes it's going to be right. And sometimes you, you still might disagree, but you just go with it. And that, that's how you learn and get better. And it's exactly the same with the kind of technical production and mixing stuff that I do as it is with songwriting or learning an instrument or just anything to do with music. And I think if you have the right mindset, then it helps you going forward in, in like any aspect of being in a band. Yeah. Totally. I think on the kind of aspect of that as well, um, I think it's important not to, to try and not regret anything from the past either. Um, like I would listen to our debut album lessons learned now and I cringe when I listen to the majority of it, but, and I have had days where I'm like, Oh goodness me. I wish I like, I could just take that off of Spotify off of iTunes and it would just disappear. But in the same sense as that, I kind of, I sort of realized as well, I don't really want to erase that because then I'm kind of erasing a part of our history and you kind of have to go through that to get to the, Absolutely. you know, the level that you're at. One of my favorite things, I listen to old work. Um, it, as soon as you hear it, as soon as you hear the first note, it just transports you back to that moment in time. And, you know, there'll be albums where it was like snowing outside. And as soon as I hear that music, it just reminds me of like being in the studio, that band, you yeah. remember all these kind of vivid things that aren't in your head until you hear that music. And that's one of the best things about recording something. It's a document of where you're at at that point in time. And yeah. that's one of the really good things about going with your gut when you're making music is that even if you don't like it five years down the line, you know that when you were that age and those circumstances with everything else that was going on, that was exactly what you wanted to do. And yeah. that's, that's the kind of cool thing about it, that when you make something when you're 18 and you kind of cringe at it, like that's part of being 18 and a musician at that point and what you like then and what you thought was good then is doing that, that's documented and that's that's the kind of cool thing about doing it if yeah if you're too scared to release anything because you think you're not going to like it in a few years time then no one would ever release any music and well, you can guarantee every single musician that's ever lived is gonna listen to previous things they've done and think oh that's so different now and that's just you'd have that with anything that you do. Like if you're a chef and you cook a dinner, if you could go back and eat your old food, obviously assuming it's not gone moldy or anything, but you're going to yeah. learn new techniques and new tricks and your kind of tastes are going to develop and you kind of get knocked down and put in your face a few times to get better along the way. And that's, that's the journey. That's the fun of it. That's, I think that's what draws a lot of people in as well. 
Yeah, and I see it as a negative when you have those kind of. Yeah, I think it's it's actually a very healthy thing to look back and to think, oh god, I've I've improved a lot. <laughs> if you don't look back and cringe, I always say this to people: if you know, if you're not looking back and kind of being critical of it, then you haven't improved. And no, exactly. there might be reasons for that, but I'd much rather have the feeling of like, oh god, I'm so much better than I was then. <laughs> That's a much nicer place to be in. Exactly, and I suppose the other thing, well, it's like if you were to, you know, let's say you were to indulge that want to erase um something there might be somebody in your you know in your local circle or somebody who lives in another country like in 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 the case of a band you know there might be somebody over in the states and you've you've got a uk band and they're like right well our first ep that was a total disaster we now hate it so they then you know delete it and it's gone from the uh, from all the platforms but that person who lived over in the states actually really liked that specific song from that specific ep and you know you wouldn't even know that because obviously you yourself feel like oh, I regret that whole EP even happened. But it's like you, it's gained respect from from people you know of its time. At at the time there were there were people who were into it, and you may never not ever even have known that. And for the same reason that I wouldn't ever really want to um, you know retire a song so to speak because you never know who's going to want to hear something in the future that you wouldn't even dream uh, of thinking that they would, but then it turns out they do. Absolutely. I mean, I think um, it's so easy now to release any piece of music. I could record, I could get steaming drunk and make the worst song in the world, record it, stick it online and release it. And then, you know, have a three day hangover and then listen and go, Oh, what I think and delete it. And anyone can, make any old rubbish and put it online and release it and it's so easy to kind of erase it and release things you're not fully confident in and i think that's something probably i mean every musician is going to have these insecurities is part of being a musician and i think it is an important thing for people to overcome to to make brave decisions and bold decisions and if they're going to do something then absolutely go for it and if you're not going for it then sort of stop and think like am i ready to be releasing this yet am i releasing for the sake of it am i releasing it because like, is it fully th- uh, thought through? Because I see it a surprising amount where bands do things because they feel they're supposed to rather than because it's the right thing. And yeah. often it'll be like a band doing an album. In their head, they think, if I release an album, that's just like a, a kind of milestone for where, you know, my family will be proud of me, my mates will be really impressed, my girlfriend will be really impressed, I'll feel really good about doing it. And I have bands that will come in and they say, yeah, we're looking at doing 10 songs, you know, um and rather than dive straight into it i'll just i'll get them in and we'll chat and sometimes it is the right thing and they've kind of built to a point where there's a demand and a, a need to deliver an album to 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 kind of keep progressing and move on but yeah i think for most most kind of local bands it's it's not a good move to make like financially commitment wise and quite often they'll rush songs to go on there that they won't be happy with down the line and I always suggest, like, rather than diving in and doing a lot of songs, just focus on doing one really, really, really good song and then spend money to do a really good video, do a really good, like, campaign yeah. to get out to people, do a good PR campaign. And rather than kind of just having an album that doesn't do anything with songs you don't really like and uh, rush through on the recording, yep. have yep. one thing that people actually really enjoy that you're really proud of and that you can go as far as possible with. And... That's, that's always something I recommend. And nine times out of ten, that's what ends up happening when I work with bands, where they kind of... yeah. When, when it's spelled out like that, it seems quite obvious. I don't think anyone can really dispute that 
Um, I mean, we all know how bad people's attention spans are. It's hard not to be distracted by something else. You might be watching a film and you look at something on your phone or yeah. there's so many things we can do now with almost no kind of, no playing in advance. Um, everything's available in our pockets, basically. You can play games or films or listen to music or play an instrument or whatever it is. So if you want someone to listen to half an hour, 45 minutes of your music, that's a massive kind of demand of people's attention span and time. And you really have to give them a good reason to want to do it. And if it's an album that's not recorded well, songs that aren't, that the band isn't even going to be proud of in five years' time, why why expect someone else to be that interested in it? Um, yeah. So I really think just having something good in the first place is by far the most important thing. And uh, I mean, I must bore people to tears with like <laughs> spreading that out, but <laughs> it's something that people don't really talk about much because it's it's maybe not a fun part of being in a band. You don't think your goal isn't to release one song every three months or I don't know how often. <laughs> it depends on the band, but um, I don't know. Sometimes it, it just kind of takes that moment of reflection to think like, what's the best possible route for us here? move to make yeah like I, I fell into that trap actually early on um it was like i really just you know i had that desire to just release an album but now in retrospect i realized that i actually prefer the process of you know like you say uh like releasing a single and then a few months later releasing another single and then being able to invest that kind of time money and energy into really making those release each of those releases be something more Absolutely. Well, I think the kind of moment we're in at the moment isn't a period for albums, really. And there are some great albums released that are like incredible kind of entities of work where it just makes sense in one kind of pass. But it's kind of like music was like in the 50s and early 60s, where it's like a singles kind of like climate yeah. for music, where, um, you know, 90% of what people care about is singles. They go on Spotify and you quickly want to be engaged in that song and you want a great song. And if the song's not good, you skip to the next one. And, you know, our attention spans are probably the worst that ever been for, for humans. Yeah. That's something that we have to kind of react to as, as kind of media creators that you write for you know, what the audience wants. <laughs> and I think if yeah. you're a huge artist, then you're going to have a fan base that, that wants to listen to an album of your work. But I think until you're at that point where there's like this huge demand for it, um, you know, if, if you're Drake, then you can release, uh, you know, mixtape sure. songs out of nowhere, and people are going to be interested; they want to listen to it. And um, you know, if you're a local guy trying to do that, it's very sort of presumptuous to expect people to want to invest that kind of time in you with without yeah. knowing about you or if you're good yet. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, I think that what me and Danny have spoken about before we've spoken to other people um, is that the best way of releasing music right now is to kind of like drip feed music. So maybe, you know, like oh, I'm, I'm, I'm up for the idea of like doing an album or doing an EP or, you know, and going down that route. But then it's more about drip feeding the content out uh, instead of being like we release, you know, two singles and then we've got an album coming out you know depending on how big you are if you're you know you know for example if you're Foo Fighters then you know that's what people want but then if you're you know some band trying to get somewhere with it 
you know you're not going to release two singles uh, you have to be really good singles to then then be you know you have an album and everyone go get it so That's it. But even then if if you if you're a band you start out if i started a band tomorrow and we wrote a song that was like better than hey jude <laughs> and that was our first ever song and we did that and released it even no matter how good the song is it's, it's still not going to get everyone's attention um you have to kind of build up a following and get to the point where you can release yeah. a really good song and then it takes off if you release a good song at the wrong point in your kind of career you're just kind of giving away too much too soon it's exactly the same with releasing an album before people are really ready for it um yeah you could you only get one chance to do it and if you don't back it with a good pr campaign or have a big enough fan base to really make the most of it then it's just throwing away all that hard work and i see it happen you know a depressing amount really where you work really hard on something and then the release just kind of flops out and it doesn't get the backing behind it that it really deserves and then ultimately the song suffers for it and it doesn't get the exposure it should have done um yeah because it's kind of been given away too easily and again i think it's so much more beneficial to to focus on each individual song's release and make that the best it can be and then just try and be that with the next song and build up and releasing 10 songs one at a time like that is going to be way more effective than throwing 10 songs out in the open that most people are then just gone why would they care yeah what what reason do they have to care and i don't know maybe (laughs) this is like uh potentially critical here but i think it's a healthy thing for bands to think about i think it's exactly the same with yeah when they're playing a show why when there's so many options available with no notice you don't need to plan things in this day and age because you just look at your phone and see what's going on or you message your mates and whatsapp and it's all instant you don't have to make plans in advance so if you want people to come to your show what reason are you giving them to come there over doing something that they might enjoy more i think there needs to be really good reasons for people to come out and spend their money and commit to to your product and i think a lot of bands don't don't really do as much in that as they probably could and um it's maybe a reason I go to less local shows than I kind of have a bit of a guilt that I don't go to enough. When I go to shows that the people I really do want to see, and I find that experience way more fulfilling to me. I'd much rather spend, I mean, a gig. One probably my favourite gig I've maybe ever been to was I saw Beck a couple of years ago in London, and it was a kind of last minute gig. Um, I think the venue only held held about a thousand people, which for Beck is pretty small, and tickets were like sixty quid. But that gig is one I'll remember for the rest of my life. It was incredible. Yeah. And that was way better value to me than spending five pounds or four quid or whatever it is, going to a local venue and seeing a band kind of badly play songs that aren't really well written and don't really need to exist. And there's like almost um, an attitude a lot of bands have where they, they think people should show up and support them and support their venue and support local music without actually giving a good reason to to be a part of it. Whereas if I go and see Beck and there's 10 people on stage and they're some of the best musicians on the planet playing together and it's like a privilege to be in the same room as them. And when you're paying 60 quid, you kind of see it's gone to these amazing musicians that have dedicated their life to being just incredible. And that that reflects way better value uh, for money for me. And like, I, I think it is tough than ever to be in a local band and to get people to come to your show. But I think it is equally down to bands to be good to to give people a reason to want to come to see yeah these incredible songs or incredible singer or guitarist or whatever it is there needs to yeah. be a reason to draw people there and um yeah i hope that is something that again comes out of it where bands think okay when gigs start up again 
we need to to have something good to stand out above everyone else because everyone's going to be itching to get out there and, and to do something special and um like i, I can't wait for it i think the atmosphere at, at concerts is going to be so good when it comes back festivals are going to be like just the most positive kind of experience is going and everyone all the bands are going to be good like it's going to be such a kind of release yeah. to, to do that um but i hope it's something that inspires people to to go above and beyond and to to kind of think how they're going about it perfect yeah yeah well i totally agree with that and um everything yeah everything you've been saying tonight it's you know there's been really good advice so thank you for you know all of that i'm um i'm being conscious of time a little bit as well because i understand we've been on there for about an hour and 24 minutes now um something that you know there's something that we do to kind of like round up each session you know each time with people is we like to ask what people have been listening to more recently so what we do is me and danny run a like we, we run this podcast and we run this live stream but we run a playlist on spotify for this session so we like to mention, you know, either bigger artists, smaller artists, get people a bit more interested in different kinds of music or whatnot. So it doesn't have to be a big artist, it doesn't have to be a small artist, but what has your been, you know, your go-to, you know, artist track or anything for the past like couple of weeks? Um, there's an artist called Jonathan Wilson who I was actually meant to see a couple of weeks ago. Um, he played in London. He's a Canadian. Uh, I think no, sorry, he's from Los Angeles. Um, he played in London the other year and I missed it. And it was the one gig that kind of escaped me. And I was so gutted at missing it. Like after that one, I realized how much I loved his music and uh, regret it. And he booked this next gig in a new venue in London and uh, obviously got canceled. And he released an album the other week, which as soon as I heard like the first note of it, I was like, okay, this is one of the best recorded albums ever. It just sounds incredible. But the songs are unbelievably good. He's like just obsessive over all those kind of, great songwriters and has that kind yeah. of uh yeah wants to prove himself as being like as good as his idols so yeah i can't actually remember what his album's called though but yeah jonathan wilson's most recent album um and he's got this kind of he's like grew up in laurel canyon in uh, la which has this like 70s kind of nice i don't know how to describe that kind of rock music but a certain kind of like 70s rock i guess element to it which has always been what his vibe's been about for this album we went to Nashville to do it and it's got these kind of national musicians playing on it um which yeah really good and one other one that oh. is really good is um Butch Walker who he's an insane producer just like intimidating how talented he is as a songwriter he wrote um Girl of the Bad Guys one uh for Bon for Soup um does stuff with like Taylor Swift and Panic of the Disco and Fall Out Boy and like is able to do really guitar based music that like appeals to that crowd and then he's able to do <laughs> the kind of poppiest of pop music and everything yeah. in between and in a kind of authentic way um so someone I, I should admire a lot and his own solo stuff probably the kind of music i would have like looked past a few years ago but getting older you kind of appreciate music <laughs> that you wouldn't have done when you were younger <laughs> And his most recent album's really good. It sounds incredible as well. Um, Great stuff. That's both definite, you know, really good suggestions. And that def we'll definitely include that into the uh, playlist so that people can find some way of getting to listen to those music as well. Um, Danny, is there anything you've been listening to in the past week since we last spoke? So 
for me, uh, this uh, this past week, I haven't had a chance to check out a whole load of new bands. Um, but one thing that I did want to mention, uh, my friend uh, Kyle's band, Makeout from the States, um, they are going to be putting out new material in, in the very near future. Uh, for anyone who isn't aware of them, um, definitely go and check out this, the songs that are already out at the moment. Crazy uh, and Ride It Out are probably two of my favorites. Um, really, really good band. And they are going to be putting out new music later this year. So, uh, yeah, definitely go and check them out. And uh, we'll stick that on uh, on the playlist. Nice. That's perfect. And um, I guess for me this week, um, I like to listen to, I mean, some people know I like to listen to a lot of smaller underground rock and pop punk artists. So one I do want to shout out this uh, for this week is someone who's more local to Ed in Milton Keynes. So I would maybe say, I'm gonna, actually, I'm going to go down the route of saying, um, get your head straight. They've got uh, a couple of singles and EPs up on Spotify, like excuses and stuff like that. And I'll definitely be included. Great yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, they're personal friends of mine as well. So, you know, I definitely suggest for their people to go get li- give a listen to them. But also this week, I've just been listening to a lot of you know, bigger stuff. I've been, uh, for some reason, I've been listening to Enema of the State on repeat. I don't know why. why not? It's a great record. Why wouldn't yeah. you? I just, you know, something about me just, I've just clicked with it and I've just always found my way back to it. So obviously, I will put some more blink into the playlist. But obviously, if you haven't heard of Enema of the State, where are you? Who are you? You know, <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? So get on and listen to that. But, um, yeah, uh, I thank you for everyone for watching and listening. Um, it's actually been a pleasure having you tonight, Ed. Actually, been really Thank good and really insightful um, to give everyone the heads up. Ed runs his own studio in Milton Keynes called EAS Studios. Um, he's done some stuff for me in the past. He's done some stuff for some of my friends. Absolutely brilliant. You know, you're really good at recording and producing. Um, so if you definitely want to looking to get new stuff out or if you're looking to get some advice and that sort of thing definitely go hit up Ed's definitely go search EAS Studios and um, see what he can do for you thank you for coming on Ed appreciate it guys perfect well thank you for watching everyone and uh, we'll see you later see you later